The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay. This week we have something extra special for our listeners that we're excited to share. It's bonus feature time here on Film Jitsu. That second disc in your Film Jitsu DVD case that you never look at. We're excited though because it's got more than just 20 extra minutes of Bilbo's birthday party. We are excited (laughs) because this week we have writer-director Dane Elkar who was kind enough to come on the show and chat with us about his feature film debut, Brightwood. Dane, welcome to Film Jitsu. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I appreciate it. I had the pleasure to see Dane's feature film, Brightwood, at the Salem Horror Fest in April. I absolutely loved it. I was crazy about the movie. I haven't really stopped talking about it since. Salem Horror Fest has some of the most interesting, provocative, important programming going on in the festival circuit as far as I'm concerned. Brightwood was a definite favorite of mine at the 2023 Salem Horror Fest. So thanks to Dane for coming on the show. I think it's important to say right from the get-go that Brightwood is uh, a film with a lot of twists along the way. And I think this conversation will probably contain some spoilers as we go. So I'd like to consider our listeners warned and just kind of open us up to chatting about the movie. Fantastic. Yeah. So, Dane, I guess before we discuss the film itself, I want to know a little bit more about your background as a filmmaker, uh, you know, in the industry. You have mm-hmm. producing credits going back to 2012. You oh, do I? Ex- yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> Uh, you have lots of experience in sound and video editing. So kind of mm-hmm. give us that breaking in story. What got you into the world of filmmaking in the first place? Uh, you know, my, my, my father was an actor. And so I kind of grew up around that whole world. I, he, had a, um, he had a theater in Santa Paula that I, uh, I that, so I literally kind of grew up in, in professional theater running around the pews and playing with the props and getting in trouble. And I just have, I've always, I've always wanted to kind of, uh, or, or I've always been writing. I've always been trying to make films of, you know, my the f- people that I would gravitate towards were all f- filmmakers and actors. And um, it took a lot, it took a while though to get serious about it. So uh, I have worked uh, on a number of short films. I've been writing for a very long time. I do uh, sound, uh, sound work as well as editing. I edit a lot. Yeah, um, man. There's no question that you edit a lot. Yeah, <laughs> watching, watching both the pond and uh, Brightwood. One of the things that jumped out at me yeah. was just how tight the editing was. And oh, it's thank Amazing you. too yeah. to hear that you do the sound because one of the things that I like the most about both of them was the sound design and the usage of sound and how important, clearly, how important sound yeah. mattered to you. So, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, was, I... it's so important from when you see a film that's um, smaller in budget. And I, I assume that this is a smaller budgeted. Oh, yeah, we didn't but, have our, we had nothing. right. Yeah. Right. No resources, <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, I saw that like this film is basically by you in many respects. Uh, right. Like you wore so many different hats on this and kudos to you for it, because from a technical standpoint, especially when you look at the editing and especially when you listen, it's solid really oh, well-made stuff and that that's sort of my background as well oh, really? is this like yeah. no budget no resources go out wear 30 hats do it all yourself and then put it out yeah. there and so 
to see someone doing that still to this day. And I think, you know, there's plenty of people now that are doing it on, on really low budget equipment and stuff. It seemed like you probably had something decent that you were shooting on though for the, for the, yeah, feature. we had a nice Sony. It was a DSLR Sony. Yeah. Um, it was, it wasn't anything too special, uh, but, but uh, I think, you know, it was the, what was important to me was that it was something that I was really comfortable and I knew how to use it and that it was light because I knew we were going to be running around yeah. the entire yeah. time. Um, so I didn't want to have a How did you keep camera. it so stabilized? I got a, I got a steady cam. I got you a cheap did. steady cam. No way. Um, I, uh, my neighbors must've thought I was crazy. Cause I would go out and jog with <laughs> my practice, uh, practice around the neighborhood test all the time. I mean, I, I, I had never used one really. So I was teaching myself how to do it. Now you didn't shoot pond, which is, I guess just to set it up for the listeners. Yeah. The pond was the initial take on this story, black and white short film about what? six Right. Minutes, so something yeah, like exactly. That. So back in 2000, oh God, I want to 2017 was when I started getting this idea of the, the kind of the idea that you're getting, you can use a single location like this pond that I knew of. Mm -hmm. I was very familiar with this, with the space and, um, uh, and just and have this kind of time warp where he's going around and he can't get out and blah blah blah. And I played the part, yeah, which apparently you watched, yeah. yeah. And um, well, you're good. Well, I mean, thank that's you. the yeah. other thing. I mean, you are good. Yeah. You were like you were, you were quite good in that. And it was well, a surprise you. to me when I watched because I watched the pawn first and then I watched you watched it Wright first. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Because so, I I wanted to see that progression because you made the leap that I never did. I never, I, I shot a feature for another director, but I never uh -huh. made my own feature. Just watching how you, how you progressed over a few years. Well, it was a kind of a journey. Cause I, so that idea had, a, I made the pond and I always knew that I wanted it to be a couple. I knew that I want, if I was going to make a feature, it was going to be a couple because I, I wanted know. to take, I just thought it would be fascinating to kind of take these two characters and just throw them into that situation. But that's huh. all I knew. I didn't have any other, thoughts about it i just if there was going to be a feature at some point that's what i what i would want to do yeah so my producer producing partner and i max wartendike who's yeah. the lead in the film he, we had been working um for years on another film on another project uh that was going to have more of a budget it was a bigger film and we were talking to people uh and then the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and we were still hoping that we could try to figure something out but it ended up just falling through and we weren't able to raise any financing and so this was this is that big leap which is we were in the pandemic and I kind of just said to myself I, I'm gonna make this movie gonna I'm gonna it. do it yeah. and Brightwood started to like I started seeing images of the couple and I just set out and I wrote it I wrote it really fast it was a really cathartic thing at least the first draft of it but the writing of it the location, how I was going to film it, all of those were factors in that I knew that I could do it. I knew that I could do it with like a few people. Right. You know, I, and, and that was yeah. important because if you're, if I hadn't, have, if I had written too much or written, um, you know, out of a budget that I didn't have, then I wasn't going to, I was trapping myself. So it was really about making something that I knew that I could do. And then that allowed me to kind of do it wow, and get the people together. Yeah, that's that's how it works. I, sometimes, yeah. especially during the pandemic, it was it's funny that you mentioned that because people were getting out, yeah, going to familiar places, doing single location short films and and single location features. Some many set in the woods. I think you sort of alluded to it a little bit when you said you wrote it very quickly, and then you mentioned it was cathartic. And yeah, oh yeah, 
it, uh, I had it fun feels personal. Uh, I think, uh, you know what? I think that it was um, the time of being trapped. I mean, we were, my, my wife and I, I mean, we obviously don't want to kill each other, but we, we were, <laughs> we were inside, you know, we were, everyone was kind of inside. There was the element that you were trapped inside and, uh, uh, and, and the world just seemed the idea of going around in circles, you know, it just kind of having that kind of uh, every day seemed kind of like the same thing that we were doing. And, and um, so when I wrote it, what was what was great about it, and I think one of the reasons it made it cathartic is that it, any situation when they were arguing or when they were going through what they were doing at the beginning of the film, it was like I could turn it up to 11 and kind of have such a, an interesting time exploring this relationship and this fight and what they were doing. I think there are a lot of different ways and a lot of um, different directions this could go in. And I, I just want to say we've been together a really long time. A stupid amount of time. Right. I'm gonna do the help. No, can we please not do the help? Go home then. No one asked you to come. <sighs> Shit. And I really overwrote the hell out of it, so so that I could go back and then start really distilling it. And I did a lot of that with with Dana Berger and Max Wardendike. We I brought them in uh, pretty early on in the process. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask about that because. I think Brightwood is a small film with some big ideas. Mm. And it's interesting to hear you say, you know, the pond was this idea that you had. And then it seemed as though you sort of layered all of these concepts on top of it in reaction to the pandemic. And so well, somewhat, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think it's one of those things. I, it's one of those strange things that I don't know if I was thinking about all of that stuff while I was doing right. it. Right. But they're there. They're clearly Yeah. There. And so I, <laughs> that got me thinking about your cast, right? Big ideas yeah. for a small film, single location, a two person cast. I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about how you connected with Dana Berger and Max mm -hmm. Warrendike uh, for the project. And what was it like for the three of you to be out there at Egbert Lake running around shooting in the woods? Yeah. So we, uh, I've known Max for years. I was room, uh, roommates with him uh you know almost 20 years ago so we he and i have uh for the past seven or eight years really kind of gotten together and, and have a much more um producing relationship where we're trying to actively get work done and it's been uh it's been great so when i wrote this project it was very easy to me he was the first person i gave it to he was the first mm -hmm. person that read it he uh, after just some kind of like is it possible blah 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 a meeting he came on board and max was the one that suggested dana berger and they had worked together in uh in a in a play in new york a few years earlier uh, oh and then i i spoke to to dana and we had a great conversation we talked for like an hour i think she really got the 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 ideas that we were going for she's super funny very very smart and I knew, and I knew I wanted that element in the script as well. I knew that we were going to be talking about some d dark things and weird things, and I wanted that humor in there whenever yeah. I could get it in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. To to insert a little bit of that levity, she's hard. Oh yeah. You snore like a five hundred pound man. You're practically an alcoholic, and I feel like I can smell you rotting from here. Your teeth rotting. I can smell it in little waves, and your toenails are fucking disgusting. Well, you make me proud that I'm addicted to porn. Me too. There was a great moment where she, she says to your to um, Max's character Dan in the movie. So they're a couple, clearly mm -hmm. estranged. He's a bit of a drinker. Yeah. She's uh, 
she's pretty high test herself uh-huh. um and just fed up with him in general and at one point she says something like you're going to die alone <laughs> yeah. like, I, I hope you die alone and it's so out of control like vile and he has this response and i had to ask you about it he uh-huh. goes fair enough yeah <laughs> now fair enough is one of my favorite phrases in all of the english language michael oh, that's tell great. you about it yeah. i used to i used to use copywritten music in my films way back in the day and used to put it as instead of fair use agreement the fair enough agreement fair enough yeah but fair enough to me means fuck off right oh like yeah that's just 100 <laughs> like that's you if you're working in retail somebody comes up you know they say something that you don't want you're just like oh fair enough fair enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. shot that fair enough out and i was like was that so maybe i should ask max maybe it's not you dane but <laughs> yeah. um but i i i'm, I'm curious where did he that, was coming from did that fair enough come from you or him in that oh i think that was in the script that but i you know script. we yeah we worked oh it's you know it's so funny like it's we worked on it um what we would do is we would get together and two or three times a week i think it started at three times and then we'd go to two times a week we would just read and then i would hear them and then we would talk about it and then i'd go and i'd rewrite and then they would i really wanted them to feel comfortable with the language and i wanted them to if they had questions about it i wanted that it happened there and that what ended up happening is that that was just such a great uh, a workshop, a kind of distillation of the of the material. I knew what I wanted them to talk about. I knew what was important, but just to get it down to like what needed to be said to really understand the scenes. So of course, yeah, some of some of the lines I'm sure they they added in. I I know they wanted to suit, but I do think that fair enough is mine. I, I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things I love about the film is how it it walks across a lot of genres in in its runtime. It's yeah. horror. It's sci-fi. Yeah. It's comedy. It's romance. It's drama, and I think you balanced all of it really nicely. It doesn't feel oh, like thank the you. scales thank you ever too, too yeah. far one way or the other. I guess I'm interested in what genre do you most closely identify the film as? You know, if you had to kind of put your stamp on it and say in interviews, I know you said you always wanted to make a horror movie about relationships, right? Consider this a horror movie. What is, what is Brightwood to you? It's a really good, that, that, that's great. I, I, I'm so happy that you brought that up because I, in, in reality, when I was, when I was conceiving it and writing it, I, I had these images of what you would say, like, you know, this is like the Sam Raimi shot, or this is the, Mm. the, the, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then this is 2001, or this is something from Tarkovsky, or this is, and, and I really was trying to, trying to kind of find, essentially, I was just having, I was having fun. Yeah. I was having fun with the films, the, the types of movies that I like. I was having fun with the different genres that I like. Yeah. I do think that I would call it a sci-fi horror film. I think we've been calling it a sci-fi horror film, and that's, that's, that's mm. fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Not in that term. Yeah, no, not in that term. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that I um, you know, I love movies and I love genre movies. And I probably three years before would you would I think that I would be filming because I do film stuff as well, you know, like doing those zooms, those fast zooms, and you know, that was just me just being like, you know, fuck it, I'm gonna do those zooms yeah. Yeah. that you see in the mo- in the horror movies that you like. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Yeah, I, I have mean, a lot of fun. I guess I want to talk a little bit about the challenges 
of making a movie that is so not necessarily beholden to other genres, but audiences are really savvy when it comes to movies that have time loops. Mm-hmm. Things like Groundhog Day, Back to the Future, the Terminator movies, even Bill and Ted. Audiences know the language of movies that deal with time. And I guess I want to know, was that something you thought a lot about as you were writing it or making it is how do you play with those audience expectations and maybe use them to your advantage was that something you did on the page and in the language the visual language of the film i i knew that what i wanted was to whatever the time loop was or time warp i was going to use it as a device as a plot device to essentially dissect this relationship Mm. and dissect um cycles in a relationship the toxic cycles that can happen in a relationship i knew that the beginning of the film um, you know, they were going to break up. And by the end of the film, they were going to kind of be in love uh, again, or they were going to, you know, get the love that they deserve at the end mm-hmm. of the film right, in a way. Yeah. And uh, and so again, even though I do love time loop new movies, I focused really on that. I focused on just how I could use that with uh, within the, the relationship and what that mm-hmm. might mean. Yeah, it felt very secondary. It yeah. didn't feel like the center of the movie. The center of the movie was a mystery. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's yeah. why w- the way that you utilize time here was unique, mm. because you really you you buried it in many mm-hmm. respects. You have an e- in a, I love calling it echoes, right? Right, They're sort yeah, of yeah. echoes, right? Yeah, the sound echoes, yeah, of course, right, yeah. exactly. And then you know the echo of just regular existence that we're in, routine, everything else. It seemed very allegorical for all of that. Yeah, and so, I think that I, I I somewhere deep down, I'm not sure, like I had all the themes in my head, but somewhere deep down, I I felt like, or at least while we were editing it and things were coming together, it suddenly really started dawning on me that the, I didn't, I was so happy that we didn't answer some of these things, even though some people are answer, they really want the answers for Mm. some, you know, um, because ultimately I wanted it to be something that even if you don't realize it, you're, when you walk away from it, you might feel like you uh, have experienced something like that, even though you've clearly never been trapped in a time loop. It's just mm. that that idea in life is there. We are all trapped in time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's what I mean? exactly in what I walked way. away. That's yeah. that's when I was watching it at the end of both films. Mm-hmm. I got the sense of we basically eat ourselves whole. You know, yeah. But yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of it, yeah. that we're responsible for our decisions, Absolutely. the circuitous nature of our lives. You know, this is, and you can't break out of it necessarily, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, because yeah. of your behavior, because of who you are, et cetera. So that's why this movie works on such a profoundly deep level as well. It's yeah. it's really reassuring too, because I don't think that you could set to task on something like that and have it come off as authentic. Mm-hmm. I think if all those themes were in your head and you set <laughs> to task on it, it's going to come off as just... Um, Honestly, uh, when we were on set, when we were on set, I'll tell you, when we were on set, I knew that I instinctively, when I when I film, I'm going to make something darker. And I just was like, what are we going to do to make this funny and keep it flowing? And yeah. that was it. And that's why, you know, Dana's a very funny. Max is very funny. It was like a story about relationships mm-hmm. and it wouldn't really play that uh, that well. It'd be a little too much. So oftentimes it was like, okay, how are we going to make this kind of funny? That sounds like a good shoot. It was a good shoot. It was very hard. I had a, I had a hard time. I think my actors loved it. So they had they they say they had the best time of their lives and I was exhausted. So. Yeah, you were calling every <laughs> yeah. single shot. Again, yeah. it's like a, it was like a an, a crew of one basically yeah. on that thing. And we, you had some sound people helping. We had out, a sound, yeah, we had and... sound and we had my very good assistant Andrew Clark, 
we really got you know lens changes down to a science we we were we were so good but every day i would i would equate it to kind of like a sporting event you know you'd like get up i would get up at five i'd go to set i'd try to figure you know where we were going with the day and uh by the end of the shoot my body was just done and so i had to kind of recover for the next day because we were going to go just go do it again how many days did you do like consecutively was it i think we did um 12 out of 16 days we had some days off but it was 12 day shoot not a lot for a for a feature i mean that's that's pretty good no we were going and that's it's a testament to my producer max wardendike who we planned we overplanned this film. We spent um, months on the uh, on the schedule. And, I mean, to the point where I just would like be rolling my eyes, like, do we really need to do this? Mm-hmm. But every shot, every lens change was so planned out that when we got to the shoot, he could act. And then I just had this like Bible that I could follow. And uh, what we found after the first couple of days is uh, we were ahead of schedule. And so it's a interesting uh, example of, of, of this planning, actually making it a we had a better understanding of what we were doing. And so it actually allowed us, even though we didn't have that many days, it allowed us to slow down and actually play out some of these scenes more. So I would do more takes because I knew that we had the time mm. to do it. You could flex your inner Kubrick. Oh yeah, those, yeah, those thirty-seven <laughs> well, takes yeah. in. I, yeah, yeah, more like eight. You know, <laughs> but when you're on it, when you're on an indie indie film, you sit you sit there and you go, okay, well, we're going to do three, four takes tops because this is the time we have, yeah. and there's a luxury to getting six or eight takes in on uh, on a on a scene for sure. Uh, so it was it was amazing to be able to do that. Yeah. I imagine, especially shooting outdoors where you have so little control over all of your lighting conditions, right? I mean, <laughs> you're working outside. So lighting, uh, lighting was, an, uh, was annoying, but I knew that we really lucked out. It only rained once. Mm. So the uh, lighting was okay. You were under but, the canopy a lot. So it kind of left yeah, you with yeah, that yeah, yeah, diffusion. Yeah. Well, you... right. It was diffused. It also, we shot, actually, we shot about two years ago. We shot in May and the, the, um, the leaves had grown, but they hadn't fully grown enough yet. So it left some of the light to come down. Perfect. Uh, if I had probably waited just a month more, because I w- went out and did B-roll, uh, it, we would you had to use way more lights in in those scenes in the, For in sure. the forest. Um, so that worked out really well. The the thing that was hard to uh, control was that there were people. It was an active oh, geez, yeah. uh, park, and I, it was kind of far away. We shot in Rockaway, New Jersey. It was a great community. But, you know, there were people walking their dogs. There was kids on ATVs. You know, oh, we weren't yeah. planning on that. I was running after a few kids trying to kill them. It's like being um, a, when, when you're a kid playing kickball out in the street. Game on. Yeah, game yeah. Game off. Yeah. You clear everything and then you yeah. wait. And then game on, game off. Um, we uh, uh, eventually, we had, had a, we started kind of befriending some of the kids and they kind of helped <laughs> out a little bit. It's awesome. uh, but for a while there, it was really tough. <laughs> um but yeah but, so like just simply having they're supposed to be at this this pond alone and so i would we'd set up a shot and suddenly there would be a fisherman across the oh, way geez. and i would have to be like oh no what are we gonna <laughs> let's go i gotta go tell the guy to move you know so. or write a fisherman into the story real yeah <laughs> throw, throw a hoodie on him and then make him one of the characters uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah exactly that and the bugs the bugs were horrible filming i'm going to tiktok and i'm looking for <laughs> uh, i'm looking for a viral clip of dana Berger landing yeah. in that 
puddle of her own grew. Oh, it's on there. <laughs> if you haven't, yeah, I knew of it. course I knew it's on there. there. Are you oh, a, my, yeah, yeah. My goodness, I love that shot. God, oh, Dana was so great. She is a sport. Let me tell you, man. Oh yeah, I saw that. Well, we only had like, one chance for that, and that was it was filled. Right? I'll tell you a story. That so, um, you know, I bought a lot of fake blood. <laughs> and we used a lot of fake blood on it, even though it's not that gory of a film. It's just you're doing takes and you end up using it. And I suddenly had a panic attack the night before we did that scene. And I was like, oh, no, I don't think we have enough fake blood. <laughs> so More blood. Yeah. So I had Max you know, I think he was out getting dinner. I like call him and I'm like, you need to go and get as much um, corn syrup as you can, oh, yeah. red food dye <laughs> and green food color, you know? And so he did. And we ended up making like six gallons of oh, just fake blood. <laughs> and then I threw in this like Hollywood goo. I don't know. I think they used it in aliens. It's just like this goo, this wonderful goo. It, and it had just it had an evil dead like yeah. vibe to it like it had that stretchy just... and stringy yeah. <laughs> and then yeah they were like dana you're only gonna get to do this once <laughs> so she's like practicing and yeah it worked out really well she but uh we yeah i filled it with as much nasty things as i could possibly find <laughs> and she dove right into it <laughs> she didn't seem like she was too worried but she looked it, she played it well she looked yeah disgusting. <laughs> well i made those stuff. i made those organs too which is just yeah, they're just oh, latex stuff. Oh no! But, shit, uh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. Latex, uh, really? Yeah, it was that, latex and I... cotton, and I would make all the spin the things. Yeah, yeah. That's my my kid thought I was crazy, but also because <laughs> I would have that laying around the house on the, on the kitchen table. <laughs> there's a bunch of there's a bunch of organs right there. <laughs> Let this be a warning to the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I one of my one of the things that. I I love about horror films one of the things when i was a kid that i got into horror films was makeup mm. and so i yeah. i um you know my dad used to have actually he used to have a makeup kit that i would play with all the time because oh, that's cool theater guy so yeah latex all of that stuff i love that stuff but i mean the, the movie was off obviously a lot of fun but um the making of the gore stuff was was particularly fun for me <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has a slow burn and then once you get to the blood yeah yeah, it starts flowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much to the dismay of the locals of Rockaway, New Jersey, who are just trying to walk the dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's a guy out in the woods screaming more blood. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we, you know what's funny? We planned some of those to be kind of like at a time we knew where there weren't going to be people running yeah. around. You know, because yeah. we were, especially when Dana's like covered in blood, running around. Oh, for and sure. And I'm oh, running God. after her with a cam, you know, a camera, and she's yeah. I mean, who knows what people would have thought. Didn't have I, any of the run-ins with the cops or anything like that? No, no. luckily yeah, no. Lucky, the yeah. city was really, they knew we were filming there. That's so they great. were really, they were really good about that. So. That's great. But yeah, That's scaring great. some kid. Can you imagine going out yeah. with like, oh, I'm going to take my son fishing today. And then Dana comes out of the woods screaming, <laughs> covered in blood. <laughs> Especially so. the ratty, the ratty hooded version uh -huh. of her where she looks yeah. like she's been living in the woods for 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. You mentioned at the Q and A uh, at, at mm -hmm. Salem, which was great because it was you and your cast there. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe you weren't able to to pin that down, but I was really curious if you have any sense of just how many miles you put around that pond. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I wish you. I really, I, in retrospect, yeah, I wish that, I, right? we had had like something that would have. It, it was miles. I mean, yeah. every day we were going around. Now we we didn't film it in order. 
-hmm. So it wasn't, it was only a few times that we were actively, actively going around and around Mm -hmm. in the movie. There's certain kind of markers in the script. There were markers. So we had like the, uh, the no swimming sign. We had the trash can. We had this kind of thing we called the gnarly tree. And then we had another trailway. So we would film uh, all the, all the no swimming sign stuff pretty much there. And then we'd move to the next trash can and kind of do that. But yeah, we were constantly moving. I mean, the whole movie is moving except for scene here and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most scenes your your cast is either running into it or running out mm-hmm. of it. So, you know, mm-hmm. in, in those kind of things. I this was just maybe my personal thing. One of the things that I don't know that you intended, but I took away from it was I kept envisioning this pond as this big circle they're running around, and I kept seeing it as the face of a clock. Oh and, yeah. And, yeah, and the, cool. you know, time yeah. running around this time over huh. and over. There really weren't any visual cues in the movie yeah. for it. But I think I think the visual language of the movie and just how kinetic everything was, it kept me thinking about your characters as running time. in these circles yeah. of time yeah. in a way that I, I really drew me in. Because like Jason said, so much of the movie is a mystery. We're trying to get to what is happening here. But what I loved about about that play with time is that we knew so much about what was happening, but not why, not Mm -hmm. how. And it, the movie wasn't interested in giving us those answers, which I really think is a credit to the screenplay, because I think a lesser movie might have had those characters escape at the end, you know, the big Mm -hmm. happy ending, that kind of thing. We all, we Mm -hmm. time breaks and we all, we all walk our way out. You know, I guess I'm curious did you ever have any other iterations of that story where it ended differently than it did? No, no, never ended differently. No, I knew that's how that was, that, that image was the, one of the first images mm-hmm. I ever, I ever had some of the first and second drafts. I think the, the mechanics of what was going on around the pond, I tried to, uh, I tried to, to fill in some of those cracks. I tried to add a little bit more of that. Why, but again, as we went on, uh, it just seemed um, not as not as necessary, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I hate to say it, like, oh, if I had a few, few more dollars, I could maybe do something. But I don't know. I don't know what I would have really. I don't know what it would add. Yeah. Really. That's what I mean. That, were... That's what I loved about it. It was. I yeah. think the sparseness of it really lent to the effectiveness. You know, it wasn't a time travel movie. Right. We, right. We right. We were right. playing with some ideas of time. But I, I think for me, I loved that we didn't get the Phil Connors discovers how to be a better guy at the end and get the yeah. punks to Connie, Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. what I liked about the ending of the movie is, for me, I think the movie was really pretty definitive about what happens to Dan and Jen at the end. But I do think we're very much left to wonder what it means for them. Mm-hmm. I think for me, there's no doubt that those two characters are now They've been there a very long time. They're together. They're yeah. almost kind of primal at that point. I think the re- the movie is really clear about what the mechanic is that has happened to them, but it leaves so much to the viewer to decide what that is all about. Is that a happy ending? Is right. it a sad ending? Right. Well, yeah, I end on their their physical and emotional state. Yeah. Um, however yeah. you want to, and that's, I, I conclude their story to that point, mm-hmm. you know, all stories mm-hmm. kind of are just ends where you, where you decide that it's going to end. Yeah. Again, just focusing on the relationship. And I knew that really it wasn't yeah, uh, the, the, the mechanics of it were just always secondary, mm-hmm. which was just yeah. what we, 
we talked yeah. about. Yeah. And I think I think for me, the mark of a really good film is when people can go and see the same thing and come out of it feeling different things. And so when I talked to people who saw your movie at Salem mm-hmm. Horror Fest, some people said they thought the ending was really bleak and nihilistic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Other people thought it was really romantic. And see, I think moving. that I think I think that's all OK. It's so yeah. it's so great. Yeah. For me, because we premiered at Other Worlds in um, Austin, uh, someone came up to me with just the saddest eyes, and he he had this look on his face, and he said, "You, you know, your I just want to tell you, your film really upset me. It really mm. disturbed me." And I said, "Oh, you know, that's okay. That's a perfectly fine, you know, feeling that you can be having." And he felt kind of relieved that I was giving, letting him have this kind of feeling because other <laughs> yeah. people were laughing, you know. Yeah. And then in San Francisco, somebody screamed out. You know, this is the this is my new favorite romantic comedy, uh, yeah, and fair. I think that it's open to interpret uh, in that, like how you feel about relationships. In, in a way, when I hear mm. people talk about the movie, kind of presumptuous for me to say, but when I hear people talk about the movie, I think it all it also tells me a little bit about what they feel about relationships. Oh, for mm. sure, it does. You know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. you yeah. can have different, uh, certainly different takes on it, and that's okay. I love it, actually. Yeah, that's it's one of the things that ultimately I think really landed me where I did with the film is I I was really enjoying the film. And then in those final moments when I was like, I was just wowed by the creative confidence to not tell me how to feel, but Mm. to show me something and let me decide. I thought it was just a really confident, self-assured way to end that story. Yeah, thank you. That's really nice. Yeah. Again, yeah, it, I mean, I don't, I don't I, it, well, it's, you said you've watched The Pond. So The Pond mm-hmm. definitely had that as well. And one thing that's interesting about the first film, because it is just one character, uh, mm-hmm. is that I get a lot of interpret- different interpretations of that film as well. So they will say, that, oh, is it about addiction? You know, going around sure. in circles and, and sure. deciding to kill yourself every day. And, right. You know, it's that that whole thing that it it is, you can kind of take different things from it. Absolutely. That, that, that also kind of clued into this sort of what I was talking about that catharsis and I was wondering about the personal sort of Mm -hmm. story that went into the screenplay because you know one of the first things they teach you whenever you're writing is write what you know oh sure so there's if there's uh, domestic squabbles or a sense of discomfort in a relationship or whatever it manifests and in that one you begin it with the crying baby and him needing to get out of it oh yeah that's right and I, I just felt like Oh man, you know, and I, I think we all determine that we have children around the same age. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And how we're in our how we're in our respective microphone recording spaces right uh-huh, now. Yeah. <laughs> Not with those children. Yeah. Um, we're all in we're all, we're all hiding we're all from our kids pond. right now. That's <laughs> we're all in the pond yeah. right yeah. now. Right. So but I was I was curious about with the pond, the original. Mm-hmm. There was more focus on the pond like literally with the shots and sure you had like these beautiful it was really beautifully shot and there was some nice um drone sort of oh, footage that yeah. was going out over the over the water and everything noticeably not in yeah in the feature length you know brightwood mm-hmm. and i was curious did you were you focusing more on the characters and less on again i feel like oh i think so yeah, i didn't have anything just... to play with with the you know with the with the um with the first one when it was just me sure. so it's either you stay on my face which you're on my face a lot or you you know you do the you pov shots yeah yeah and yeah. we filmed a lot of that i mean we filmed a ton uh, uh for for brightwood we we sure. really did have a lot uh it just ended up being yeah in the editing I, you know it was when you're putting this to... together i just didn't yeah. feel like it needed to be there yeah 
Uh, speaking of your face, I think it's really um, you. You act terrific in that short <laughs> film, and I thought <laughs> you did you. a great job. Yeah. Obviously, wearing so many hats, there was no way you could both shoot it and be in. No, in front of the I camera. made that and, that. and Max did a great job as Dan for sure. You sure, know, that's, yeah, that's great. While we're talking about Dan Elkar, actor in front of the camera. <laughs> I, you alluded to it at the beginning. I feel like I need to give a real pat on the back to myself for restraining myself through this. Oh yeah, no, no. You mentioned Go your dad. It. You mentioned oh, yeah. your dad. And yeah. at Salem Horror, I kind of confessed to you that I was, you know, I got interested in the movie and I looked it up. And then when I looked you up and I saw mm -hmm. the name Dane Elkar, <laughs> instantly I went, well, that must be what Dana Elkar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 90s get a huge MacGyver fan. Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I hit the IMDB real quick and I was like, oh, you know, okay. Yeah. Don't be uncool about this, right? No, now. no, I love I love talking about my dad. That's great. So it's that's fun, what I yeah. want to know. Cause I'm a kid who grew yeah. up loving MacGyver, yeah. loving Pete Thornton. I think in a really neat way, it was super progressive. Dude, oh, it's Oklahoma such a progressive show. When you look at it now, it's incredible. Yeah, and, and to have written the changes going on with your dad into the plot into of the film yeah. rather than just writing him out, which has oh, yeah. been the, the lazy and cheap thing to do. I guess, you know, having a dad, like you said, that was in the industry, what's that good MacGyver story, right? And can I have Richard Dean Anderson's number, right? When we well, <laughs> very nice guy. I've not talked to him for many, <laughs> I mean, I, I saw him years and years ago, but um, uh, I mean, it was, I was very young, you know, yeah. I was, I was a kid when that was, that was going on and it right. was just so amazing to be able to see. And it was also very separate from our, of our lives. So when someone's a working actor, particularly, I, I think the first two seasons were shot in LA, mm. but I think the rest of the show was shot in um, Vancouver. So we were in California. And so my, it was kind of that thing. My dad was going to work. I was sad that he was leaving. He was gone for months on end. Yeah. And, but what was kind of incredible about it is I don't remember what day it would play, but I was watching the show along with everybody else. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the, amazing. So, so you're just yeah. kind of sitting there like, what's, what's going to happen next? And to me now, uh, as an as an adult, uh, it's just so he he passed away when I was twenty one back in mm -hmm. two thousand five. So to me now, it's almost just like chicken soup. You know, if oh. I want to watch the show, it's just so nice to be able to see him or to watch some of his other films. But he was he was an actor through and through, and he was an old school theater actor that um, you know from a very early age. Uh, I was reading plays to him, reading Shakespeare to him. I should I should mention he he ended up losing his sight when I was around seven years old due to glaucoma, right. which is what the what uh, Mike was referring to about uh, having that written into the show, which was a huge deal for back then. Yeah, he could keep working, uh, but amidst that kind of transition, which is so hard, I think that his love of theater and his love of the arts and his love of literature were, were really what fed him and kept him kept him going. And yeah, very, I mean, obviously, I, a very influential to me. And here mm. I am at trying to make movies and yeah. sure, uh, sure. Trying to... it, it must have been really fun to go to school every week and be like, hey, uh, you know who that is? I'm a guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I don't even remember. It's so funny. What I remember is like we would go to like the pool and that people would come up and ask him for autographs, you know, and I'd be yeah. like, oh, that's weird. But my dad was actually really into the community. So everybody kind of knew who he was, where we, where we, where we, where we, where I grew up. Um, so, you know, it's great to hear you talk about that because Jason and I talk a lot. And, and I mean, obviously 
vastly different, right? Jason and I talk a lot about this podcast that we do. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. thing that we have decided, the reason why we ultimately decided that we do the show is if nobody ever listens to it, if, mm -hmm. if it goes nowhere, when we are done with it, we're going to have recorded hours and hours of our voices and our thoughts and our opinions oh, sure. yeah. that we will get to leave behind. I was just talking about this with my daughter tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That we get yeah. to kind of leave this little thing behind that they will be able to, if they want to, revisit. And then, you know, maybe yeah. down the line, Jason's great great grandkids can <laughs> remember that time granddad had to watch Cats because his buddy Mike told him to, right? Oh, you yeah. Bastard. Those kind of things. And so, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what an incredible gift to be able, like you said, chicken soup to go back and watch not only yeah, so much of your dad, but so much of your dad in something that's, you know, beloved by so many people. That mm -hmm. That's a real ma magical thing, I think. I love it, and I love watching all of his films. He he worked a lot. So he's in one of my favorite movies. Oh, which one? I absolutely love him in 2010. Oh yeah, 2010's I am a, great. We just watched it on film. Fan. So I went to other. <laughs> I went to other worlds. Yeah, in Austin. Yeah, in in Austin, and here I am flipping through the program uh, when they release it on online. I'm scrolling through it. And then there's a, and in that program, there's a 35 millimeter screening of 2010. Oh, and my. I was like, this is, I, at first I was like, oh my God, this is great. And then I was like, what? Did they, did they not, did they not know? Does nobody know that my dad's in this? So I emailed yeah. them and they did, it was, it was totally random. So here I was going to premiere my movie yeah. and in the same festival, I get to go watch my dad on the big screen. Did you watch, yeah. so you oh, went yeah. to see 2010? Oh, hell oh, yeah. How did it look? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was it's great. It was an older print. So, oh, so it's um, a little muddy. <laughs> it was a little muddy. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, it was great to see it that way. And it's a great movie that his name, uh, Peter Himes. Peter Himes. Yeah. I mean, uh, to think that he did, took on all that responsibility, he shot it himself too. I think he wrote it. He did. It. It, it's such a kin, I feel a kinship to him yeah. in so many ways. Cause, and you must in some ways too. I mean, but well, like the scope imagine and taking the size. that on though. Imagine well, going, I mean, oh, I'm Kubrick, just going to take, yeah. Kubrick had the models destroyed. He had <laughs> yeah, to like oh, rebuild yeah. and everything. And it was, it's, it's a fantastically well done movie. Your mm -hmm. father is in got... a scene <laughs> that is arguably one of the best opening scenes of yeah. any movie. I know. Jason it's really has well been written. talking to yeah. me about this scene yeah. for ages. Like every yeah. once in a while, randomly, Jason, like, you know what I love? And then he'll talk about this scene <laughs> well, with your dad. You don't, I mean, as, as someone who writes quite often, it's like the, okay, yeah, I'm going to open this movie on like a five, 10 minute discussion of that they're going to have i forget how long it actually is yeah but um yeah it's you don't you don't do that you don't say i'm going to open my film on two people talking for that long of time but the way it's written and how and, they're talking and the stage and the structure the of it yeah it's yeah. just it's great and your it's dad's really russian done. accent was, yeah yeah it's just fucking phenomenal and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i've seen them all now but he worked so much during the 70s and 80s that i would turn on the television randomly and be like the oh it's the incredible hulk as it used yeah, to play reruns sure. and then it'd be like oh my god my dad's the sheriff in that <laughs> or in that show it would happen all the time yeah. Yeah. any plans for you to get back out in front of the camera uh yeah i've been working um with max again he's going to be predominantly a producer on this he's not going to be in it but uh we have another movie that you know I, uh, obviously things are on hold because of the wga strike but we have another mm -hmm. movie that he's going uh working with and and seeing if he can get some financing for and it's um it's all happening wonderfully 
That's good. Yeah. So you're, you're planning on acting in that one? No. Oh, no. Just just directing it. Oh, oh I, I thought yeah. I thought Mike was asking if you were getting in front of the camera. Oh, yeah, in yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I yeah. No, in front of the camera again. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. You're good. Uh, yeah. You're really good. I mean, acting is is so fun, and I grew up uh, around actors, and uh, but I do think that w- once you get that kind of writer bug, and once you get yeah. behind a camera, yeah, uh, there is something there that I you, it's it, you get addicted to it. So yeah. Yeah. you have an upcoming screening on the twenty fifth of May. You said or- yes, we are part of the Big Apple Film Festival. We'll be closing out the fest on um, Thursday. May 25th at 8.55 p.m. And um, go get your tickets online at their website if you can, because I don't think they're going to be available at the box office. Dana, I want I want to congratulate you on the success of Brightwood, of course. I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can follow your work, follow you on the social media, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, how can our listeners that want to continue to follow Dane Elkar's work like I will, uh, where can they find you? You can find me just by Dane Elkar. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter and all of that. I I don't use it very often, but um, we are promoting the film a lot now. Brightwood Movie, brightwood.movie or Brightwood Movie is uh, on Twitter and uh, Instagram and TikTok. But uh, yeah, we're we're definitely out there if you look up Brightwood or look up Dane Elkar and uh, promoting the film. So, And I should add, we will be, we do have distribution, so we'll be released at the end of August through Cinephobia Releasing, and we're really happy with that that's great so are they going to release it to streamers or are you are you getting physical media uh streamers and physical media that's great that's Mm -hmm. terrific that's great news Mm -hmm. yeah that's i'm really excited about because getting to see the movie in a film festival is is one thing but being able to spread it far and wide to friends and all of those other people who haven't had a chance so they can put their eyeballs on your movie is is great because i'm going to be talking about brightwood for a good long time i think no thank you well, Dana, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a great yeah, conversation. Yeah, thank you. I'm thrilled it's been for fantastic. this movie to make it in front of a, a larger audience. I'm excited about the distribution. I hope that our listeners will continue to follow your work. I hope that you absolutely sell out the Big Apple Film Fest. Uh, good luck no, there. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and we just really want to thank you for for coming on the show today. Well, this was so this was so great. I had a really good. Please, uh, I will. I will. Uh, I'm going to start listening to your podcast. I'm so happy that I <laughs> thank you discovered. The both of you, thank you so much for introducing yourself and and, yeah. and reaching out to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and keep in touch. We can we can get back on and talk bad movies. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. what is the worst movie you've ever seen what is the movie like if you had that person out there that you're like i'm gonna make you watch the worst thing i can think of what would that be oh um something that i really really didn't like uh he's too agreeable yeah, he's like, I'm having a hard time thinking something. Everything now. has merit. Everything Jane Elkar is too nice for film jitsu. <laughs> <I know. laughs>